Welcome to The Watershed, a podcast that explores relationships between people and water through shared storytelling. The Watershed is a project of We Are Water Minnesota, a traveling exhibit and community engagement program that engages with water through multiple ways of knowing, scientific and social, political and historical, intellectual and spiritual. The Watershed is a place where everyone is welcome because we are all connected by water. Thank you for joining us. In honor of the stories shared during our 2020 to 2021 tour, and in anticipation of new journeys to come, The Watershed is presenting a series of six episodes drawing upon generous storytellers from Morris, Mankato, St. Paul, Rochester, Chisholm, and Pipestone, Minnesota. Last episode, we explored stories about honoring and respecting the waters that make up our home through acts of connection building and repair. Today, we explore how restoring our connections with water can also bring us in closer relation to each other. Water is shared and it crosses borders. Because of this, states, communities, and individuals often look for ways to agree upon water use, quality, and quantity. In the stories we'll hear from today, we'll learn how water can act as both a boundary and a bridge. How can water connect us across generations, backgrounds, and values? Sammy Peterson, an environmental educator from Rochester, finds an answer through the act of teaching. Here, she shares about her passion for building future generations' relationships to water. My name is Sammy Peterson. I work as a naturalist environmental educator at Quarry Hill Nature Center in Rochester, Minnesota. I live on Cascade Creek, which flows into the Zumbro River, so I spend a lot of time just walking along those waterways, taking my dog, biking. Here at Quarry Hill, in terms of our relationship with water. We have a little pond here, and it was excavated just for the purpose of being an educational resource for kids. And it's probably the number one teaching tool we have. Back in like the late 60s, early 70s, Rochester public school teachers all got together and raised money to develop this nature center here at this land. Ever since then, all kids in Rochester Public School have been coming out twice a year from kindergarten through fifth grade to learn in the natural world, like hands-on. We take the kids out to dip pond creatures. We talk about soil and how soil is formed using the weathering process that water brings through freeze and thaw cycles, through rain. We talk about habitats and they go out and they see the animals that are existing in that habitat of the the pond. They get hands-on experience doing water testing. One thing that we focus a lot on with more of the older kids is how important what we do to the land is in terms of what affects our water underground. And one of the things we talk about is why did we have to move away from garbage dumps and move to incinerating our garbage? 
a big reason for that is because here in southeastern Minnesota, if you have a garbage dump right on the ground and that garbage dump ends up leaching water down into our aquifer, we're going to be drinking that. Sammy helps connect children to the natural world through hands-on activities. Everyone, no matter what age, can find something to learn. And learning about water and the place where it flows opens up doors for exploring what is unique about a place. Water moves differently underground in the Rochester area because much of that landscape is karst. In karst areas, the limestone bedrock is eroded away by slightly acidic water in rain and soil. On the surface, we see springs, sinkholes, and disappearing streams. Underground, there are gaps, spaces, and caves. In karst regions, water contaminants like nitrate, bacteria, and pesticides can move quickly into groundwater aquifers. Sammy continues, sharing why it's important to provide opportunities for inviting everyone into natural spaces. So we do so much wonderful, wonderful outreach and wonderful, awesome classes in the summer, but it's a totally different population than we have during the school year. Because as the school kids come out, you know, it's, it's equal across the board. Every kid in the class comes. But in the summer, it's, it's only the kids that have families that have the resources to bring them out here. Um, and it's typically families who have the resources to pay for classes. There's a definite inequality there. To me, the, the most beneficial way to help preserve and help protect and heal our land, our water, is to form these experiences with the water, with the land, to get that relationship with it. What Rochester Public Schools does with this connection to Quarry Hill and bringing kids out here, getting to play in the water, getting to observe the birds, getting to catch fish, that is a good start. Not everyone has equal access to learning about and experiencing water. How can we bridge that gap? As Sammy shows, sometimes it can be as simple as helping bring people, especially young people, to the water. It's as important as it is to bring younger generations to the water, it's equally essential to reach into the past and consider the significance of water to previous generations. James Weston from the Pipestone area talks about the history of Pipestone's water for Dakota people and how to carry past stories into the future. Well, my name is James Weston from Flandreau, South Dakota. The land there that where the Pipestone is, is a uh, means to where they dig that red stone. <laughs> That has always been a special place. Again, you know, for generation upon generation, you know, how long have we been going there and doing that and using that? When you go to the monument, the Pipestone Monument, and you look at it, it's not actually the way it was. You know, that river there, that's all man-made. Dug a trench up on top for drainage for the farmers. <laughs> you know, so again, all of that stuff flows in there. The actual waterfall's not where the original waterfall was there. 
This little area is different. I do quarry there. You know, I do help there. We still go there. We still do our ceremonies out there. Again, in biblical sense, you have a creation story. For us, we have creation stories. <laughs> and so the water on the entire planet those stories that came along and how the water was given that created life those are part of things that for us as Dakotas or for us even in my family and, and this is what we're doing this is what we do this is how we live this is how we've always lived the national parks came in and, and they saved that area you know that's good because that was a place that we had always gone to. For generations, the Dakota people have quarried and practiced ceremony at Pipestone. Though the water there is very different from how it was in the past, James speaks to how the Dakota people have continued to tell its creation story and honor Pipestone as a sacred place. We have a story of a, I call her a buffalo calf pipe woman. And she's the one that brought that stone so that we could use it and showed us how to use it, how to pray with it. And she gave it to a particular band. Then that band maintained and kept that, that if you want to call it a pipe. And they've maintained that pipe now for 19 generations. And then so you look at a bigger picture of how the world is getting and rivers and lakes and aquifers are getting polluted you know so we're in a scary place you know i'm 58 years old and i i never thought i'd have to go to a store and buy water that's it's crazy to me <laughs> you know so at one point we could go drink out of these rivers we could go drink out of these lakes there's a lake right over here that's almost the same as what our band name is it's called uh, uh it's just a few miles from here and there's a aquifer there's a spring that comes up through that that lake and so the stories from some of the grandpas around here were that they would go over there and get that water the reason they called it a sacred lake Medewaka was because the minerals within that spring were good for arthritis and so they would go over there and they'd get that water. They'd go over there, they'd camp, and they'd bathe in there, you know, help with their joints and stuff, you know. Now that lake is all polluted, you know, too many boats and too much farmland. You know, so it's kind of a scary place and a scary time that we're in. It's important to remember and maintain ties with what has been lost, though painful, it's important that we make space to feel the grief of these losses. By acknowledging what once was, we increase our capacity to imagine a better future. Grief can connect us to something larger than ourselves. James guides us into looking at the bigger picture, how lakes, rivers, and aquifers around the world are changing. In this way, we let grief be a bridge to connecting with others who have also experienced loss. Ong Ying from St. Paul felt grief after experiencing the way that water can be used as a barrier that divides us. 
She describes her experience offering aid to Syrian refugees in 2018, after the crossing of the Mediterranean Sea. During that time, she thought a lot about her parents' dangerous journey across the Mekong River. I went to Greece and I worked with the Syrian refugees there. And mm-hmm. by night, I volunteered with a group of people who did shore patrols. And what that meant was we went to the shores every night and we waited for the arrival of Syrian refugees who were making their way across the Mediterranean Sea. Wow. And um, we were told that it was illegal for us to help in any way, to assist in any way. We had to wait until refugees were on land for us to assist them. And it was heartbreaking. We would stand on shore and we would watch these um, refugees fight for their lives, literally. And those who had a little bit of money, we could see that they came on boats. And those who didn't, they came on just homemade uh, rafts and they swam just with their life jackets on. And uh, Europe actually pays Turkey millions of dollars a year to keep these refugees in Turkey. And so as these refugees are making their way across the sea, the Turkey... um, Coast Guard would come on boats and they would have chains and they would whip the chains in the sea. And their main purpose was to try to knock the refugees off the boat or to cause distress so that they're able to capture the refugees and bring them back to Turkey. And I would sit there and I would watch this, you know, um, horrendous event unravel. And sometimes they made it over and sometimes they were caught by Coast Guards and brought back to Turkey. When they got to shore, um, our job was to immediately give them a warm blanket. We gave them food, we gave them water, and then we transported them to the refugee camp. Um, and in the morning, we would return to the shore and we would collect, we would just do shore cleanup and collect belongings. We would uh, clean up the life jackets. Um, you know, some people had luggages or shoes. And the most devastating thing is you, you never knew if, um, that life jacket belonged to someone who made it to Greece, mm. someone who died in the sea, or someone who was captured and brought back to Turkey. And so, you know, so um, I had many emotional nights and days there. It was just, just psychologically, emotionally, physically draining on me. Um, you know, and I did, I thought a lot about my parents and their journey and what they had to fight through um, crossing the Main Kong River. Water can be something that we travel by, but water can also be something that blocks us from reaching one another. Ong speaks of water used as an obstacle, something the refugees needed to cross in order to reach safety. Unfortunately, not everyone made it across. Ong's experience helping the refugees made her reflect on the difficult water journey her own parents had to move through to reach a better life. What role has water played in your own journeys? For Ellen Tauby of Virginia, Minnesota, water serves not only as a physical bridge, but a spiritual bridge. She speaks about the waterfowl who use her area's waterways as stops that bridge their migration journeys from north to south and south to north, and relates that to the role that baptismal water plays in forming a bridge between a person's old and new life. Hi, I'm Ellen Tauby. I live in Virginia, Minnesota and we're right across the street from Silver Lake here in Virginia. We have a beautiful view of the downtown power plant. The power plant runs several steam turbines and discharges hot water into the lake. And so the lake, at least a small part of it, stays open all winter. So we enjoy watching the 
the waterfowl that come through. Spring and fall are especially interesting because this lake is open before and after many of the other lakes are frozen in the area. So birds will come here on their way north or south. This fall we saw a number of trumpeter swans. They come through in pairs or in threes and stop here for a few hours to a day or two and then head on. Um, in the spring, we often get the swans coming through and, of course, the ducks and the geese. One year we had about 20 loons that stayed here for a week or so. We have one or two great heron who live on this lake and have come back every spring. Things about water. I'm a retired Lutheran pastor, and there's so much imagery of water in the Bible. Baptism is a, is a big image, and, the, and that's connected with the story in the story of the Exodus. The, the Hebrew people fleeing from Egypt and crossing the Red Sea or the Reed Sea, the water divided to let them through and then came back together again. The way that's used later in Scripture is as an image of baptism. When people are baptized, it's like, it's like going through the sea, like the ancient Hebrew people did. The best technique for baptism is actually immersion, you know, when, when the person is, actually goes under the water. Because the image is, in baptism, the old self dies and the new self comes up out of the water, a new to live before God. That's the image of new life that grows out of the water. Many of the baptismal fonts today have what they, they term living water. The, the water is actually flowing in the baptismal font. And, and that's a neat sound during worship to have that flowing water present in the space. Martin Luther talks about every time you encounter water, it's an opportunity to remember your baptism. So, you know, if you're in the shower in the morning, you just think, oh yeah, I was baptized, I was made a child of God. Ellen connects the stories of water in the Bible, such as the crossing of the Red Sea, to the symbolic nature of performing a baptism. Ellen carries the spiritual significance of the act of baptism into other interactions with water, allowing them to serve as moments of spiritual renewal. Rena Petrick from southwestern Minnesota experiences a spiritual connection to water through another living tradition. She connects her Ojibwe culture through water walks. My name is Rena Petrick, and I live in southwestern Minnesota, and I am 15 years old. When we were adopted, well, my mom's not native, and neither is my dad, but me and my brother and sister are, and we got adopted um, all three together. And one of the things that she decided in adopting us, like our adoption was really hard because they're trying to adopt in a non-native family. Mm. And the tribes, they wanted us to be put in a native family household, but mom and dad fought for us. And they said that um, they would do everything that they could to help us and raise us in a native environment. So mom connected her work with us being Native, and she met Miss Sharon, a Native elder, and through her water work, 
And then she learned that she did all these water walks and water ceremonies and felt that it was important for us to do that. And Miss Karen is Ojibwe too. And she's like a grandmother to us now. And so my mom met Miss Sharon through her work. And like she wanted to help us grow like in our community and like learn our history and roots. And she thought since she worked in water work and like being like an Ojibwe Koya, an Ojibwe woman, it was important for me to learn that. And like she didn't pressure me or anything into doing it. But after the first couple water walks, I was like, just like, I fell in love with it. It like makes me happy. And I like just find myself at peace there. I can get really bad anxiety. And then when I'm with the water, it like just calms me down. And I feel connected. Like, I don't really know any of my biological family for like since our adoption. I just feel a connection and like, I know, it feels like someone's like talking to me through the water and like tells me like what to do or what I'm doing right and stuff and gives me advice. And it's like just so calming. And then you meet so many wonderful people on the water walks. The first water walk, we met five people and we've been friends with them ever since. And they they go on almost every single water walk too. So it's so nice to like see them again on the other water walks. And so I have like my own water walking family. Rena practices water walks in communion with others. Her mentor has become like a grandmother to her now, and she's found a water walking family that helps her feel connected to her community and her roots. For Rena, water is a bridge between her adopted family and her Ojibwe culture. Through water, we can cultivate community and create new partnerships. Though the stories we've heard from in this episode and ones previous come from a wide range of voices, perspectives, and ways of knowing, in the end, we are all connected by water. Look in the show notes for a link to further reflective questions that you can spend time with whether on your own or in conversation with friends and family. And stay tuned as We Are Water Minnesota begins its 2022 tour through five different communities throughout the state of Minnesota, Winona, Lake City, Alexandria, Fergus Falls, and Dakota County. We start with the city of Winona, where We Are Water will be visiting from March 3rd through April 25th. As the We Are Water exhibit visits each community, we'll be featuring stories told by the people from that place. We look forward to sharing with you the explorations, inquiries, and reflections to come. Thank you for listening. And in the meantime, may you find ways to let water be a bridge between you, others, and the earth. I'm your host, Megan Reich, signing off. If you enjoyed The Watershed and would like to support our work, please consider sharing this podcast and leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Special thanks to Leia Lim, Chambury Lee, and Aaron Dorbin, who conducted the interviews in this series. The Watershed is a project of We Are Water Minnesota, a traveling exhibit about water and people. We Are Water Minnesota is led by the Minnesota Humanities Center in partnership with the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, the Minnesota Historical Society, the Minnesota Departments of Agriculture, Health, and Natural Resources, and University of Minnesota Extension. We Are Water Minnesota receives support from the Clean Water, Land, and Legacy Amendment and the National Endowment for the Humanities. 
The Watershed is hosted by Megan Reich, a Minnesota Green Corps member serving with We Are Water Minnesota. You can visit us January 20 through February 28, 2022 at the Minnesota State Capitol in St. Paul, where we are showcasing the history and successes of the program. You can follow We Are Water Minnesota on Facebook and Twitter at WeAreWaterMN. Thank you.